Because there's many different words that you could pick out of the, you know, the themes in the Sermon on the Mount. How did that word come to you? Yes, you're right. I mean, it's not one thing. The the word resilience is not the first thing you'd think of when you think about the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, you could think of robust. (laughs) You could think of challenging. Uh, It's comforting in places, of course, when Jesus is talking about blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Um, But it's quite a a robust, you know, piece of uh, a piece of literature. The the key is the ending. When you get to the end of those three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when you get to the end, Jesus wraps up everything that he's just said with that famous little parable of two builders. There's one builder who builds his house on sand, another builder who does the proper work, digs down beneath the sand to build his house on the solid foundations beneath. When the rains come, when the storms hit, when the winds blow, when the floods rise, uh, the first guy has his house collapse, the second guy has his house withstand the rain. And Jesus says, that's what will be the same for you if you put my teaching into practice. You will be able to withstand the storms. You will be resilient. That's actually what resilience means. And that really changed the way that I read the whole sermon, because If that's what Jesus is saying at the end, making the main point, well, that's really what the whole sermon is about. If you follow my teaching, he says, then you will be able to withstand uh, the storms of life. And that's what it's kind of, I think that's what really it's kind of uh, developed to me. Do you think it's an important message for believers today? Because so many believers 
let's face it, don't really go too well during the storms or during the battles. Right. You know, we uh, a lot of us get a bit shaky in our faith, but we need to be resilient. Is, is, that, is that where you're coming from? Well, it's not interesting that the parable that Jesus gives, uh, the guys build their houses before the storms hit. And, mm. you know, they've made decisions before the storms hit. Uh, one has been quite lazy, and he hasn't really laid a proper foundation. The other one has done some hard work, and he's laid the foundation. And then when the storms hit, then you find out how resilient you are. So I think you're right, Matt. I think, you know, sometimes when the storms hit, they're always going to be terrible. They're always going to be painful. And they're, they're always going to creak and shake our house and bend it out of all proportion. Uh, but it's actually in the, can I say, fairly good times, in the safe times, that that's when we should be building the foundation. And Jesus says the foundation is really getting his teaching into your life and start to practice it out. By the way, notice that he never says, just listen to what I say. He always says, not just listen, but actually do, put it into practice. And that's what I needed to do. I, I had wanted to go into the Sermon on the Mount in some depth. I was a bit scared of it because it's also quite challenging in places. Uh, but it's when we go into it and actually start putting it into practice in our relationships, in our attitudes, in our ambitions, start having it shape our desires, uh, that's when we're able to build strength that will be right well placed for when the difficult times in life come i just love these three chapters uh in matthew so important uh, so foundational so revolutionary uh for for jesus to preach this message uh and i'm just looking at the passage uh the, the paragraph before building your house on the rock the passage that says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven you know the one yeah uh, i actually i think you'll find this fascinating mate i had a caller at uh, the radio station, called me up recently uh, in his 80s, who was an evangelist. And he had died on the operating table and had a vision of hell. And he cried out to God and said, God, I've preached for you. God, I've done missions. God, I've done this. And God said, away from me, I never knew you. And he was just absolutely devastated. Now, thankfully... He came back to life, and he got his life right with Jesus, and uh, you know, and we were able to share that on the radio. The next phone call we had was a ninety-year-old woman that said, "I heard that guy on the radio. I dropped to my knees and I got my heart right with God then and there at, the, at that moment." Wow! And it's been like a massive revelation to me to hear that as well, because you know, guys like you and I, we do lots of stuff for God, but yeah, really, the most yeah. important thing is to know a personal relationship with God, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, and and particularly in this day and age when uh, you can earn an income from being a minister of the gospel, yeah. <laughs> when you can sell books Ooh. from being a minister of the gospel, <laughs> when you can have big speaking engagements in front of lots of people, we can get a lot of adulation. Um, it is it is really challenging, and that's why these passages are just so important, and we have to be followers of Jesus in in silence and in quietness and in obscurity um, before we do <clears throat> excuse me, any public uh, ministry. It's just so true. And again, that whole passage you're referencing there is, you know, people who are saying that they are, uh, and yet they are ultimately in that whole passage there is kind of, they're, they're basically false prophets. He's talking about their being false teachers, and they're actually out to do his work for completely different means, and that's to devour the sheep and devour their could be, to rip them off of their resources or uh, mm. make use of them or take advantage of them or something like that. So that is the key there, is 
the great law of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is interwoven throughout the Sermon on the Mount, even though you don't find it here, you found it later in the book of Matthew. And so if we're not loving God and loving others, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim to be uh, people who wanting to you know, be ministers of the gospel, uh, then we've got some real problems, real problems. Now, mate, uh, a lot of people might know some of the trials and the struggles you've been through in your life recently. Uh, I'm just curious to know uh, how comforting has these three chapters been to you uh, through what you've been going through in your life recently? You mentioned before um, some of the books that I've written recently and the, the, the one that came out a couple of years ago was a book called Resurrection Year, which told our story of how we came to the UK, leaving Australia. And that came about as a result of us trying for 10 years to have a family, uh, that all falling in an absolute screaming mess um, at the end of, it was Christmas 2010. And then we basically moved here to the UK for my wife to start again, for, for her to have a new opportunity, a dream come true. And she got a job at Oxford University, and that's what brought us over here. That's how we began. Then when we kind of came here, um, I had to start again because, uh, as you mentioned, I was hosting the Open House show, really loved that. That was a dream come true, felt it was a God-given thing. Um, it was fruitful. Uh, and then there were book opportunities and speaking opportunities and things like that. I had to come over here and, uh, you know, start on an un unknown land as an unknown man. And I wasn't too sure who I was there for a little while. And basically that gave me some time to get into the Sermon on the Mount. So I think what I found is that the sermon started to recalibrate some things. So when we build our identities on what we do, which us men really particularly do, Women too, you know, because they'll say, oh, I'm a wife or a mother and I'm a teacher or an engineer or whatever it might be. But us guys really do build our identities on what we do. Um, when you lose that and when you're a writer but publishers are turning you down because they don't know who you are and they don't think your books are going to sell, or when you're a broadcaster and, you know, the radio stations aren't returning your phone calls, uh, or you're a speaker and nobody's asking you to speak at their church or at their conference. <laughs> it's a very good opportunity to find out, well, who am I really beneath those roles if I never do any of those things again? And that's why I really particularly love that passage in the, in the, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And he's talking to peasants when he says that. He's not talking to the brightest in the class. He's talking to everyday people. People have to go out every day and earn their living, and people have to do everyday stuff. And he's saying, with me, if you follow me, you will change the world. You will be a history maker because you follow me, and you will be my salt of the earth. You will bring out, as Eugene Peterson says, you will bring out the God flavors of the world, and you will be my light of the world. You will show people, shine them the light of God and help them to move out of darkness. That's a wonderful identity to base your life on um, beyond any role or ministry or position in society or life or the family or a workplace that most of us build our identities on. So that's one way, mate, that um, actually the Sermon on the Mount really started to recalibrate my heart when I came over here after all of our challenges of the 10 years preceding our moving over to the UK. Sharon, I've got a pastoral question for you. You know, you know I pastor a church, and uh, you've, you've preached there years ago, and I, I know you're, you're very much involved in, in you know, church ministry where, wherever you travel. Uh, I had a young evangelist in my church that told me that he only read the Gospels, and he only liked the red letters of Jesus. He didn't like the rest of the, 
the Bible because he just thought it was irrelevant. And uh, I thought, well, here's an interesting discussion for me to have with this young man. Well, what would you yeah. say to him? That's a great opportunity. Don't you love these opportunities, actually? Because at first you kind of, you know, you're thinking, oh, come on, guy, what are you, what are you kind of saying? But actually, it's a wonderful opportunity to then go into the depth of what the whole gospel and the whole scriptures actually are. If you only read the red letters of the gospel, for for a start, Jesus never spoke in red. Uh, you know, he, he spoke a whole lot more than what we actually have in red ink in our Bibles. Um, secondly, the gospels are the teaching of Jesus in the context of a larger story. Yeah. And so much will not make sense without recognizing its place in the larger story. It's kind of like me listening to you taking one word out of something that you say and forgetting completely the context that we were talking about it in and then going and passing it on to some, somebody else. And they go, oh, what did he really mean by that? Oh, I'm not too sure. You know, when you take something out of its context, it changes its meaning. You won't understand the red letters unless you read all the Gospels, you won't understand the Gospels unless you read them in the light of the whole of the New Testament. You won't understand the whole of the New Testament as you, unless you recognize it in the context of the old and the beginning and the end and the beautiful sweep that Genesis to Revelation gives us of the whole of life and the cosmos and God's place in it and our place in it as well. You just won't get it. So that's what I would say. That is wonderful. In so many words. I, I didn't have a clue what to say, so I've just recorded that and I'm going to play that to him. <laughs> you know, I think no, you, I, you nick it, mate. You can use it and say, oh, this is what I'd say to you. I think I said something similar to that. Not as well worded, but uh, I, I do hear what you're saying there too. And, and I've, I've heard uh, Chuck Missler say, if you take the text out of the context, all you're left with is a con. And, uh, of right. course, we do need to read the Scriptures in context and look at the history and the culture and the, and the way it all fits in. And, you know, I do have to say, you know, I have always loved uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm certainly going to get a hold of your book and uh, check this out. Uh, uh, the book is resilient. I love the artwork, too. Can you just describe the artwork and, and where did this come from on, on the, the book uh, cover of Resilient? You know, um, I've been trying to capture some words to describe the actual artwork. I'm not too sure. It's uh, The best I can come up with is this kind of artistic blue splodge <laughs> on the front of the cover. And then in running writing is in kind of reversed out white. On the blue is resilient. And I think it speaks of so many things to me. I think one is the kind of craziness of the blue splodge says that life can be really quite chaotic at times. And then you've got this lovely running writing in between that says there can be some order within it. And I, that's the best that I can come up with. I haven't actually spoken to the artist who, do, who did it, but I, I'm really, really appreciative of the cover. It uh, really does stand out. And I hope that it does reflect what's in the book, which is, yes, you can find some strength in the midst of the chaos. Well, you know how you see on movies when a psychologist will sit down with someone and say, what do you think this picture is, you know? Yes. <laughs> I think it, it's like the ink plot. Yeah. Yeah. I look at that and I think, yeah, I, it looks like something's being spilt and something yes. beautiful is in the middle of it. So, yeah, I think we're on the same page there, technically. Yeah. <laughs> but, to know, it's, it's a great cover, uh, a great uh, theme, a great idea, and, uh, you know, you, you cover these wonderful factors of building resilience in the life of the believer, which is so important. I'm certainly going to be uh, uh, getting my hands on it, and uh, I, I might even be able to preach a, a sermon series on it. It looks great. I'm going to have to I check think, this out. I think you can. I think you can. <laughs> hey, it's, it's perfect for preaching because the Sermon on the Mount really breaks up neatly into basically five or six sections. So you've oh, yeah. got a six-week series there all ready to go. Wonderful. Thank you for the tip. <laughs> now, if people want to find out more, the website is SheridanVoise.com. 
you can uh, do a Google search for Sheridan Voice. You'll find him on Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest and what else are you on? Uh, MySpace? Are you still on MySpace? No, not on my MySpace. I'm on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook, yeah. Does MySpace still exist? Oh, I think it's around somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but, <laughs> Limping uh, along. And uh, you can also uh, subscribe to Sheridan's blog. You can listen to his podcast. You can see interviews he's done. Check out his other books. It's fantastic uh, to see what God is doing with you in the UK. Uh, Sheridan Voisey, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.